Whether you are an Anglophile, an aficionado of the Japanese tea ceremony, or growing tea in your backyard, there is a lot to learn about tea. That is tea the drink and tea the meal. We talk about it. It's on tip of the tongue. Tip of the Tongue, a podcast on the Nitty Grits Network, where we explore the intersection of food and drink and museums. This is Liz Williams. We're here today with Kathia Bryan, writer, business owner, teacher, and culinary enthusiast. She is a tea party expert, and who doesn't love a tea party? Welcome, Kathia. Thank you so much. So tell me how you got interested in tea parties, because I think tea parties are so much fun. And even remember having a little tea set, a China tea set when Mm -hmm. I was a child that I would play with and have tea parties with dolls and friends and my father, you know, whoever (laughs) would do it with me. (laughs) Yeah. And that's actually, I mean, I had the little China tea set also. I still have that little tea set. It's got a little owl on it. And I mean, I was actually thinking about this earlier and I remember there's a set of books. It's about a, I think it's a, I think it's a badger, but it's named, her name is Frances. And she had tea parties with her bread and jam and that, you know, and it kind of, I think all of that, just kind of grew from there. <laughs> well, and and people don't often know what a tea party is. I mean, if you think about Alice in Wonderland and their tea parties and just all the way tea parties are, are talked about. And then we have the Boston Tea Party and yeah. what that was. And so tea parties are, are crazy, but also there's tea. Yes. And that's not exactly the same thing as a tea party. Right. So tell us about that. I mean, tea, it's it's an amazing beverage. And the more I've read and learned about it, I mean, it's affected our history. It's affected our culture. I mean, it's the reason countries back in the colonial days had their fortunes. And so, I mean, but there's so many varieties, and but it all comes from the same plant, the Camilla Sinise. And so that to me is just fascinating. And it just depends on where it's grown, how it's grown, the soil, and then the processing, and you get all these different teas. <laughs> so I went to Russia a few years back, and many more years probably than I can even think about. And one of the things that I found fascinating, of course, was having tea in a samovar. Mm. And I was there because there was a jazz fest in Moscow, and I went with the State Department, and a chef and I were there. And in between sets on the in the jazz tent, we would make jambalaya or we would make gumbo or something like that for everybody to eat. So it was really it was really fun. And the the bands that had come from New Orleans loved it because you know they didn't really want to eat green tomato pickles and stuff like that that they were eating in in Russia. And so. The thing I wanted to do when I was in Russia was go to a tea house and actually have tea from a samovar. 
So I asked the person who was our liaison with the restaurant that was working with us. And I said, this is really what I want to do. And this person was maybe 30, maybe not 30, but he was young anyway. And he said, I've actually never been to one. So he said, let me see what I can find out. And I'll find out if there's one that we can go to. So anyway, we went to this place. I'm sure everyone in the place was 150 years old. And this man who had arranged it had told them that we were Americans and that we were going there to sort of see the experience of the samovar. And this was an old fashioned samovar, not an electric samovar. He brought it on a cart. It had a column in the middle, like a cylinder that was full of hot coals. All around it was hot water. You put the top on it and there was a little depression for the teapot to sit to keep the teapot hot while you had poured the tea and you were drinking it. And of course, there was a spout at the bottom for you to turn to get the water out. So this man actually brought out step stools so that he could take the top off and let us look inside. So we literally got to see the mechanics of it and how it worked. And his samovar was about 200 years old. And all the samovars in the place were really, really old. And the tea was a combination of wild thyme that people picked in the mountains in Russia and regular black tea. And they, I asked, I said, is it half and half by volume, half and half by weight? How do you, how do you do this? Because obviously the time is a lot lighter than the tea. And he said that it was basically by volume. And so I, I learned about drinking this tea that had time in it was amazing. I have not had tea with time in it. I'm gonna have to look into that. (laughs) (laughs) And I don't have any left because, but I, and of course they didn't sell it and they have really strict rules about what you, your license lets you do, you know, but at the market, there was a man selling this tea, the time and tea combination And through a translator, I asked him about it. And he said that in Russia, they began to do that as a way to stretch the tea, you know, the way we use coffee and chicory or something like that. And he said that people didn't have that much money and they could even make it 60% time or whatever, depending on on what what they could afford. And it was just a fabulous experience. That sounds amazing. I would have, I would love to experience that. I mean, just, yeah, that would be a dream come true right there. (laughs) (laughs) So, so tell me about a tea party and what it is that you, you have to do to plan to make a tea party right. Well, I mean, so when you say tea party, that can cover a spectrum of things because there's the afternoon tea, which is you do certain foods, you do certain things on certain way of setting up. Then you have high tea, which everybody thinks is exactly the same as afternoon tea. It's actually the history behind it. They are completely different things. And a high tea is actually what the lower class 
would originally have for their five o'clock dinner meal. And so it was a lot heavier than the snackish in the afternoon tea. So why is it called high tea? Because they would have it at their dinner tables. And so the table was high and afternoon tea is actually served on like an end table or a coffee table. Oh my goodness. That's a great reason. I, I always wondered why it was high tea. Yeah. So when you go, you want to go to high tea, you may want to rethink that actually, you know, you may want to go. To, yeah. But I mean, there's, there's other types. I mean, there's cream tea, which is literally, you just have tea and scones. And so it's, it's whatever you're wanting to do for yourself or for your guests, if you're having guests and everything. I mean, the things that I think that are absolute must is you have to have a scone, of course, and you have to brew the tea properly so it tastes good, so people enjoy it. And then, you know, just remembering that it's basically what we're doing, what we're calling, you know, tea is basically just bites of stuff. And so it's not like all these huge sandwiches and things. So, because I mean, there's a lot of food provided <laughs> at most of the time at teas. So. Right. So things like bread and jam is something that would be normal at tea, right? Yeah, you can do bread and jam finger sandwiches. Now, the one that if I don't have at a tea party, I get in trouble for because everybody expects it, it's a cucumber sandwich. If you do not have a cucumber sandwich, people are like, what is wrong? This is not a tea party. So, you know, that's just a go-to. <laughs> so, but, you know, it's, it's whatever, because like, I was actually teaching a class the other day on how to host a tea party. And one of the ladies, she was like, I don't like cucumbers. And I'm like, what's well, okay. I was like, you don't have to serve it if you don't want it. Or you don't have to eat it, you know, and just, you know, what, a, it, it just make it your own, but keeping your guests also in mind of what they might enjoy too. Well, so when you're doing this, is it something, I mean, I realize you could do whatever you want. Yeah. So I'm, I'm not trying to say this is the only way it can work, but <clears throat> would you normally serve more than one kind of tea where you'd let people make certain selections or because you're serving it out of a teapot, you maybe don't have as many choices. If you have a, a tea bag and you pour mm -hmm. hot water in, everybody could have a different kind of tea. Now, personally, when I host mine, I do three different teas because I want to make sure that everybody has something they might like. So I always do a black tea and then I always do like a something else tea, like a green, you know, like a green tea or something that has a little less caffeine in it. And then an herbal tea, which is not actually tea at all. It's just called that. It's just, you know, whatever the, you know, lemongrass and whatever. But, you know, there's people that just won't herbal fruity teas. And so I usually provide those. And what about cream and sugar? Always, always. <laughs> I like to use the little cute, the raw sugar cubes, just because it, you know, makes it feel a little bit special because you're not, you know, having your normal table sugar, but yes. And so do people actually, even in something like a lemongrass tea, put cream and sugar sometimes? I, I mean, I guess there would be probably somebody out there <laughs> that would I don't I mean I guess it would be a taste what preference um I mean I could definitely see some of them probably adding sugar but I would question the creams for that <laughs> yeah. so I'm I'm curious 
about how a person becomes really enamored of tea in the U.S. since we are so ubiquitously drinking coffee. How does that? I'm an Anglophile. Okay. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. That's that's about a simple answer. And I just, I mean, I don't really know how I've become literally obsessed with tea parties and things. It just kind of over time gradually. And the next thing I know, it's like, oh, I'm, I'm hosting tea parties. I'm giving classes on to, you know, writing a book on it, you know, all of the things all of a sudden. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, one of the things that I always think is funny is in all the English movies you ever watch and television shows and things. And of course, now we have access to all of that all the time. Every time somebody's upset about something, where in an American movie, they would say, here, have a drink. <laughs> in 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 the English movies, they say, let me make you a cup of tea. <laughs> yes, have a cuppa. Yeah, I, you know, actually I have not, I hate flying. So I have not actually traveled to England yet, but it is definitely on my list. I've just got to get up the courage. And, you know, I think it's just that it became so ingrained in their culture during the colonial times up until like the early 1900s and that's kind of when we started letting go of our tea but I think that they just kept on I think you know it was just a a personal preference for the whole country honestly (laughs) you know I think that culturally if you've adopted tea as your as your hot drink, let's call it your hot drink. Mm-hmm. Um, you do have a cup of tea when you get up in the morning. There is caffeine in it. So it is a caffeinated beverage to drink hot in the morning to kind of get you going. But I feel like it's more than coffee is here. I think it represents not only history, but also just a kind of cultural way to sit down with somebody and get to know them And there's a big difference between going to a coffee shop where you're sitting, you know, with a cup of coffee at a table level across from each other and sitting in an easy chair or an upholstered chair with the tea at a different level so that you're really visiting in a Mm. totally different way. And I I think that that's a, a cultural difference. And I think of that cultural difference with tea, even though it doesn't have to be, you could do that with coffee too. So you never served coffee at your tea parties? I've never served coffee at my tea parties. I don't even think that I would consider that because I, I, I'm a very much a stickler for having what quote unquote, I consider a proper afternoon tea. So yeah, no coffee anywhere near. Because I would absolutely have coffee at my tea parties. <laughs> well, a lot of Americans would, and they're like, well, I don't really like tea. And I'm like, it's okay. You want some water? You know? <laughs> but, you know, you still get to drink it out of a cup and all of that. So that's it's all the pomp and circumstance that goes with it. Right, exactly. And so that's why I think you can drink coffee. But, you know, it's like it's a, your tea party. So you get to make it whatever whatever you want. I think in your book, you should actually talk about that. You know, should, you know, it's a big controversy. Should you be able to have tea and coffee at your tea party? Because, yeah. I mean, I'm sure that some people, you know, go crazy over it. 
I'm sure. Yeah. I mean, I follow a lot of tea party groups and things on Facebook. And I mean, there's some of them that, you know, for their parties, they've also offered tea. I mean, excuse me, coffee. And I mean, again, it all goes back to personal preference. But yeah, for me, no. (laughs) I belong to the New Orleans chapter of the English Speaking Union. And it's just a, a, a an organization that is about the English language and stuff. So they have a tea every Christmas. And so their Christmas event is a tea. And they always serve coffee. <laughs> oh, well, I won't storm the premises. It'll be all right. Okay. Okay. So lemon or cream? I mean, I have both usually on the table for offering. And I wouldn't put a lemon in the cream because you're going to curdle it. (laughs) What is your preference, lemon or cream? Oh, mine is definitely cream. Okay. Okay. And so did you know that tea is starting to be something that's being grown in the U.S.? Yes. Actually, it's funny you bring that up. Um, Just this past Sunday, I went and toured one of our tea farms here in America, it was in Fairhope, Alabama, and it was just a beautiful place. And I mean, I know a huge amount about tea, but I learned even more. And I mean, yeah, so I encourage if you can go to a tea farm or tea plantation or whatever, go because it's really interesting. <laughs> so, so tell us about it. How big is it? What did you see? And do they do processing there or do they send it off to be processed? So this tea farm is actually, it's called the Fairhope Tea Plantation. And it is the oldest tea farm in the United States. I think if I remember, it was 1978, 79 that it was started. Um, and this gentleman, he grew up um, there in Fairhope and Lipton had, um, I hope I'm telling the story right. Lipton had brought in some tea plants to do different experiments on and things like that. And whenever the experiment was over, they cut them all down and burned most of them. But he and his dad went out and got some cuttings off of it. And he started from there. And I don't remember how many acres he has. I mean, he has a fair amount, but he does what he calls artisan tea. So his is actually not available for purchase anywhere but with him. And he and his wife do 300 pounds of tea by themselves every year. Well, <laughs> yeah. so, I mean, do they, they do they make black tea? What kind of tea do they he make? He does a black tea and a green tea. Okay. And I'm going to tell you, that was the best black tea I think I've ever had. So how, I'm, I do want to ask more questions about mm-hmm. the processing, but do you go through the sort of Chinese tea and and really Asian? I mean, I think in Japan too, but the idea that every cup tastes different, like if you put tea in the pot and you add the hot water and then you've drunk all the tea, but you don't add new tea leaves, you just add more water. And every time you drink a different pot, the tea tastes different and it unfurls and it makes all those different changes. Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, it, yeah. In other words, it changes. Yeah. You don't throw away the leaves and make a new pot with fresh tea or do you? Um, not normally. I mean, occasionally there's some, you know, some that I'm like, I don't like that, but, (laughs) but I mean, you know, we, um, 
you know, when we're using our loose leaf, we usually, it's usually my husband and I, or sometimes my son, you know, we'll, you know, all be able to go through the same, use the same tea leaves to do our own cups. So, yeah. And so let's go back to the, the, to the processing. So tell us a little bit about the processing. Is it dried, fermented? How is it, how is it handled? Um, so he picks his and there's like a whole thing that they have to do that they steam it in a wok really quick to stop the oxidization on the leaves. Um, and that's mostly for green tea. They want the oxidization to happen for black teas. And then he has like this little um, rectangle patch that is not big at all that he then takes bed sheets and spreads it out and it's got wind blocker. So the wind can't move it. And he'll go out there and he lets it dry for several hours and rakes it. And that's how, that's how he does it. <laughs> okay. Okay. And so he doesn't actually ferment the tea or. I am on, I don't recall, honestly, because I know we talked about fermenting, but there was so much information that day. <laughs> oh, I, I understand. And so what about, um, you know, any other places in the U.S. that you know about where tea is is grown? There's um, a tea place outside of Charleston that's ran that's owned by Bigelow Teas that you can go to. Um, there are two that I know of in Mississippi. Um, one's in Laurel, one's in Brookhaven. Amit, Louisiana has the Florida Lee Tea Company. Um, and I know that they're, I mean, they're literally all across the states. I mean, there's Oregon, there's Washington, Hawaii has some, New York State. I mean, I think almost every state now has at least one tea farm. So the Ag Extension Service had an open house. And one of the things that they they showed us was the tea that they were experimenting on in Louisiana. And they gave us all seeds and they gave me five seeds. Everybody got five seeds. And one of them, I was able to germinate. So I'm growing a tea plant from seed. Very nice. It didn't come up. And they said that 20% was really good. So not to feel too badly because, you know, it wasn't a cutting. It was actually a seed. So right now it's about four inches high, but, you know, it's planted in the ground now. And it's a camellia. Mm -hmm. So, you know, camellias grow quite well in the South. So I think that one day, not <laughs> soon, but one day, we may actually be able to have tea from our own bush, yeah. which yeah. is really fun. So I, I'm kind of excited about that. Yeah, actually, I was at the tea farm this weekend. He gave me um, five little baby tea plants. So I'm a tea plant mama also. <laughs> oh, wow. That's really wonderful. Oh, you've got five. I got five. I, I have to wait for my tea plant to get big enough to create its own seeds so I can get more <laughs> <laughs> or else wait till I can at least graft a few or something. Exactly. Yeah. Stars. Um, so, all right. I'm, um, I'm really anxious for you to tell me how you go about setting up your tea party. What what do you tell people? If you were having a class, what would you let people know? So pick your, why are you having it? It's kind of a, like writing a, a story or anything, the who, what, when, where, and why. Mm -hmm. um, why are you having this? When are you having it? Where are you having it? I mean, those are the first questions you have to answer for yourself. 
and for your guests also. Um, and then from there, take the why and make a theme out of it. Um, it doesn't necessarily have to go with your why. If you're doing a birthday party, it doesn't have to be a birthday party tea party, but it could be. Um, and so go from there. And then once you have your theme, you can start working on your tablescape. And I don't, I encourage people not to actually have that much on the table because it already is filled with plates and teacups and other things. Um, but then, you know, you can also plan out your menu. Um, I usually like my tea parties to reflect, my tea party food to reflect the theme of my tea party. So I do a lot of research and trying to, you know, be creative with what I'm serving. Um, what teas you're going to serve? How are you going to serve it? Um, I know I, a lot of people don't have like a, the three tiered plate stands, but that's what, um, is I think really good to use and you can create those out of like cake plates and different things and to set it up. And so on the bottom layer, the first layer is where you put your savory. So your sandwiches, your little baby quiche, things like that. Second layer is your scones. And you, I always put my jam and my clotted cream there with the scones. Um, and then the top layer is always your sweets. And so, yeah, and my sweet rule is have, Something fruity, something chocolate, and then something else. Oh, something else. I like that. So yeah. you can do anything. Yeah, yeah. I'm probably a savory person. So how sweet are scones supposed to be? Well, I mean, I make a savory scone. I actually have just created a lemon basil um, goat cheese scone which I mean it, that's definitely going to the savory side um and but then also I just created a bushwhacker scone so it can go however sweet or unsweet your perfect I mean that works for your recipe of course you don't want to just pour sugar in but I mean keep it realistic because I mean you are also having sweets but then also you probably are putting a jam or jelly on it and that's going to add a sweet so yeah but you could have like whipped goat cheese or something like that that you could put on it. You could, absolutely, yeah. yeah. Um, and even like maybe sliced strawberries or something instead of jam, you know, so yes. that's quite yes. so sweet. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay. I think all of that is really interesting. The the three-tiered thing, I understand that that's traditional. And mm -hmm. I always just thought it was because it took up less space on the table. Is that I would imagine. I mean, I would imagine that's a lot of it. And it's also just easier to carry because you can put the plates all on there if you have a good sturdy stand, of course, and you can take it to your coffee table or whatever. Yeah. So. Yeah. So, all right. I'm going to ask you about your book. What okay. tell me about the book that you're working on? So my book is about afternoon tea and the best way for me to describe it. And I don't want to it's not technically this, but it's an afternoon tea encyclopedia, basically. So I want to, I have not found a book that covers all kind of sections of afternoon tea. I've had to like piece together different books. So I am wanting to create a book that covers all the tea, you know, tea stuff, like your black tea, how to brew it, all of that. And then history of, yeah, I obviously have to start with the history of tea to move to afternoon tea. And then it's going to have like some superstitions and 
the how to's and a little bit of everything and then recipes, of course. But yeah. So what about, would you ever serve little pasties or little, yeah. um, you, know, you could do little hand pies and things like that. Yeah. 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 And then if you have tea, what time of day would you have it? Typically now it's served between 11 and two. Okay. But so that's basically lunch. Basically lunch. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, if you're serving like I serve and like a lot of the other places do, you're going to get full off of that because there's typically like three or four savory options. There's one or two scone options and then three or four sweet options. And so you're going to, you're going to have lunch. <laughs> yeah. So if you go someplace where they're commercially having tea, it's usually more of a buffet where you get up and you serve your plate and bring it back. And then the tea pot is brought to your table and maybe every person might have individual teapots because they've chosen different kinds of teas. Is that kind of what you've experienced? Actually, it's not at all. Um, pretty much when I go to tea, everybody is it's set for their personal table, which is why majority of afternoon tea places request reservations so they can make sure they have exactly what they need for the amount of guests that they're coming in. Some of my favorite places to go, actually, and I hope this is okay to say, but I mean, I love going to the Windsor Court. They do a beautiful afternoon tea and it's all right there for your guests and you to enjoy. And then they, you know, bring you hot water, but you can trade your flavors out if you want to try something different. And so it's just, it's a nice afternoon. I always find that it's way, way, way too much food. And I feel like I want to take the rest home with me. <laughs> and that's usually not an option. Yeah, usually not. <laughs> Because, I mean, they can't really sell it to somebody else. And so that's why I feel like, well, what are you going to do with it? Throw it away? This is terrible. And you pay for it, you know, because you could literally eat it all. Nobody right. would stop you. So it's really yours. It's something that irks me. I hate well, it. Depend I mean, it depends on the place. Um, I mean, there have been times where we have not finished the tea service food and they will offer they're like what well, do you want a little to box it up for you and so it honestly is the establishment yeah yeah well it's one of those things where you're balancing the idea of the elegance of being able to leave everything because you're full and that frugality of saying i hate the waste that this represents you know exactly. yeah that's i a, get it yeah clearly tough a tough thing so tell me when you think your book is going to come out. Oh my goodness. I have no idea. I'm still in the research, trying to yeah put everything together research phase right now. So. Well, then tell us about your classes. My classes. Um, well, I've been teaching a lot of how to host a tea party class and those are really fun and I enjoy those. And those are also hands-on. So they're getting the information for how to do it but then they're also getting to work on a few recipes while they're there to try things um so yeah and then I teach some other different culinary classes also so what else do you teach um I've taught an everything chocolate class hmm. um I've done 
I'm trying to remember what else I've done. Oh my goodness. Um, I'm totally going blank right now. I know I have a, a British baking show cook um, cooking class coming up and a French cooking class coming up. So yeah, different things like that. That sounds like that sounds like a, a lot of fun. Also, tea sounds like your your big big thing. So one yeah. more question. One more question about tea. Do you make anything that is tea flavored? Like oh a, yeah, oh yeah. Like what? Yeah. Um, I've made a panna cotta that was Earl Grey, and that's very lovely. Um, I do. I cook salmon with tea on it. I mean, there are so many things that you can do with tea and actually that is part of what the recipes I'm going to include are some cooking with tea recipes and so there's books out right now that are great for helping with that so one of the things I like to do is take my leftover tea leaves and let them dry like spread them out and let them dry and then I use the tea leaves that have been pretty much spent mm -hmm. to smoke things Oh, nice. And that gives a really kind of tea smell and flavor to the things you've smoked, but it also is smoky at the same time. You know, it's not just, it doesn't, it's not like you've cooked it with tea in the yes. way where you add tea to something like a panna cotta, mm -hmm. you know, but it's because I can't just throw it away. <laughs> I have a really bad streak in me. It's like, okay, what can I do with this now before I throw it away? <laughs> That's a good thing to do, though. I wish I was that way. Yeah. So thank you so much, Kathia. This has just been really informative. I think tea is one of those mysteries to me, the lure of it and the way people really care about it because I am a coffee girl. Mm -hmm. And so- but Don't I get me wrong. I drink coffee too, so- <laughs> But even when people say, let's have a cup of tea, I say, and do you have coffee? <laughs> because there's something, I don't know what it is that isn't satisfying to me about the tea. Mm -hmm. I think it's just cultural. I think it's just what you grew up with. And a tea, iced tea? Oh, I drink iced tea. Mm -hmm. But you know, I know people who only drink hot tea and cold coffee too. Mm -hmm. They drink iced coffee. So I know that- you know, it goes both ways and, and people are just very, we're all idiosyncratic. So yeah. Well, thanks so much. Do you have a website that people can? Uh... Um, I am working on the website. They can find me on Facebook though, at okay. belly, belly cheer with Kathia. Belly chair with Kathia. Yes. Belly cheer with Kathia. Belly cheer. C-H-E-R. That sounds wonderful. And that's where people should go to find out more. Yes. Thanks so much for being with us. Thank you, Liz. Thanks for listening to Tip of the Tongue, part of the Nitty Grits Network of the Southern Food and Beverage Museum in New Orleans. Learn more and subscribe to this and other podcasts at southernfood.org or wherever you listen to podcasts. Find us on Facebook on Nitty Grits Podcasts. I'm Liz Williams. Thanks for listening.